Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Allison. Today's guest is Shiraz Babu. He's a business owner, a speaker, and also a reality interventionist. I can't wait to get into this conversation and hear about his story of overcoming adversity and all the obstacles that he's faced and all of the lessons that he's going to share with our audience to help them overcome some of the adversity that they face in their lives. I can't wait to get into this conversation, guys. Let's go. Shiraz, welcome to the Overcoming Adversity Podcast, man. It's a pleasure to have you here, man. It's great to be here, Michael. And damn, production value on that intro. That was amazing. <laughs> man, we do our best here, man. Um, you know, we, uh, we've we been going for about a year now, and I think um, we've progressively seen growth as periodically as we keep on developing, man. So thank you for that. Oh, no, no worries. That was great. So if you can, man, um, you... You you said a word that I've never heard before, <laughs> and I, I was intrigued by by that when um, you uh, wanted to get on the show. So, what is a reality interventionist? Share that with our audience. All right. So, just the same way that you do an intervention with people, it's like you your drinking is now hurting you and everyone around you. Yeah. You're doing an intervention. This needs to stop. I'm like your reality is hurting you and the people around you. This needs to stop. Mm -hmm. People don't realize that they're actually addicted to their current reality and the current circumstances. And if you're into mindset, you know that we get habits and there's just routines we follow and we don't think, but there's actually a physical component to it. So when you try to change your situation, try to change what emotion you're in, try to change specific habits, your body physically goes into withdrawal. The problem is it doesn't feel like a drug withdrawal or an alcohol withdrawal. It's just your body goes into the state. It sends a signal up to your mind that says, make this person do what they need to do so we can go back to where we feel safe and comfortable. And then you just unconsciously put yourself back into struggle or poverty or illness or loneliness or whatever it is. And you don't realize you're at the mercy of an addiction. Hmm. So... For one to get to this state of realizing this and understanding this, um, I imagine someone had to have either been there before or have studied this. Can you tell us a little bit about your story and how you've developed this um, reality interventionist and started to um, gain that concept and start talking about it? So for me, the, the journey actually started at birth mm -hmm. uh, because my father was half Indian and half Malaysian. My mom is South African, uh, so the Afrikaans tribe, but uh, she, there's also Dutch ancestry because apartheid. So I'm this mutt. I'm this mix. And so people have mistaken me for Moroccan, Brazilian, Egyptian, Iranian, but mostly people look at me and they either see black or Indian. Right? And right. I identify as black because so Africa, right? So that's all well and good, but it also meant that growing up, I got to have both black and Indian racial slurs mm -hmm. and adversity, right? 
it wasn't so bad in high school and stuff. I, I pull, got pulled over a couple of times for walking while black, you know, that happens. And, uh, but when I started to travel, things really changed. So I had just really? gotten back from Brazil with a bunch of my friends. And after customs, this guy comes over and says, we need to ask you more questions. Hmm. So I said to my friends, hey, they need to ask us more questions. And he goes, no, no, not them, just you. And I look at my friends who are white and I'm black and I'm like, okay, I see what's going on here. Wow. Yeah. And then after that, every time I crossed the border, I would get stopped. And I live in Canada. I do a lot of trips to the States. Every time I drove across that border, I get stopped. I'd ask extra questions or have my luggage searched, sometimes my person searched. It was frustrating. It was annoying. When I was flying, it would happen. It was really annoying when I'm coming back to Canada because I thought I thought that would be more lenient coming back into my own easier, right? <laughs> right? No, no, right? <laughs> and and uh, in Europe, when I was backpacking through Europe, I actually, on the Eurorail, they'd stop me between borders while other people were just crossing the trains. And I actually called some guys on it. And I said, is this your black check? And I just remember one guy, he just, he turned red and he looked, the guy, I just have to do my job. I'm like, I'm not going to make any trouble. I just want to confirm. So it's not in my hand. Is this your black check? And he says, yeah, but they told us to check the black people. So this is just what was happening. And the worst one. I've never heard anybody like admitted something like that. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, Go, ahead. That guy. Go ahead. Wow. Cause, well, because that guy, the guy himself wasn't racist. He was just told in his job, be racist, basically. Right, right, right. So he was, okay, it's not me. It's my boss, man. Right? <laughs> <laughs> That's unbelievable, man. Okay. This, this is the world. This is the world, right? And so I, w I went to Madrid and it was the first time I'd actually crossed the border without getting checked. And I was like, oh, I'm excited now. This Things are changing. But then I'm standing by this big fountain in the center of town, all these tourists around me, undercover officer comes in, says, I need to see your passport. I'm like, okay. He, I give him my passport. He goes, you don't have a visa. You need a visa to be in this country. And I'm like, no, I'm from Canada. Don't need a visa to go to Spain. And he's like, no, you need a visa. Come with me. So he takes me and he throws me in a paddy wagon. First wow. time I've ever seen a paddy wagon. I'm on the inside now, looking out through the little little window with the bars. Yeah. Throws another black guy in, another black guy in, another black guy in. I'm like, oh, here we go again. And then there's 10 of us and they take us in to be processed, which included a strip search and an anal cavity search. Wow. And so I'm in line and I'm waiting to get searched. And watching each person, you could tell the whole thing is just to humiliate us, to show humiliate. us we're less than, right? That's the whole process. They don't need to be doing this. And my anxiety is building up. And because of that, two things were just not in my awareness at the time. Number one, I was in the best shape of my life. I was a bodybuilder at the time. Number two was we were in view of the holding cell that had the working girls. So when my clothes came off, that cell just erupted with like, woo, baby, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were cheering me on. And I'm like, okay, no, you know what? This is not humiliating. This is actually pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You know what, man? This is the first I've heard um, this explicitly out there like that. Obviously, I know about racism situations and stuff like that. But to the detail of what you just explained and share with me, 
Mm -hmm. I imagine that could be extremely frustrating as it keeps happening repeatedly over and over and over again. Yes. And you're someone that has no ill intent. You're not doing anything crazy. You're not on anybody's radar or anything like that. How, how was that for you, man, just to deal with that mentally, man? It, it was frustrating. Like, and I didn't realize till later how bad it was going because every time it happened, it lowered my ambitions. Because mm -hmm. I, have to, I have to deal with this as a black man. I can only get so far as a black man. They're only going to allow me certain privileges as a black man. And it kept anchoring and anchoring and anchoring with every stop. Right. And, and then it accumulated to that, that moment in Spain where that was going on. That was like the, the biggest incident I've had as a border crossing. Luckily, we had those women cheering for me. And made it easier but then i spent the night on the concrete floor and then i got the hell out of the country the next day right but after that is when things just changed because i came home and i was talking to one of my coaches and i was telling him the latest border crossing story and he looks at me and goes shiraz are you ready to step out of that story and before i go to my response i want i want to explain stories because this is what i do this is what i do with reality intervention we all have stories that are running our lives we have good stories and bad stories. Like a, a lot of people have, I always find the best parking spots, right? But we also have no one ever listens to me. I can't get ahead in life. The opportunities don't show up, right? For our conscious mind, there's good and bad. For our unconscious mind, there's only good stories. There are no bad stories. And when you start to understand why your unconscious mind likes a particular story, you can start to unravel it and get out of the addiction to that story. So for instance, a lot of people have money stories. I don't have enough money. I don't make enough money. I, I can just get by every month. So let's just say you have a money story uh, that you've, you just made rent that month. You didn't think you were going to do it. You were struggling through the month and you just made the rent. When you do that and you get to that little victory, you actually get hit with adrenaline and dopamine. And your body goes, oh, that felt good. Let's do that again. Now, consciously, you don't want to go through a month like that again. I can hear me. <laughs> Am I not coming out anymore? I can't hear you, Shiraz. It doesn't say muted. I don't know what happened. Uh-oh. I can hear you fine. You can hear me? I can hear you and it's, All right. it's not me. Testing, testing, testing. Hello, hello. Okay, this is weird. I'm going to choke okay. sounds. Input. Let me check Wait, something, yeah. but I, I cannot okay. hear you. I need to hear me, okay. but I can't hear you. Something happened. <clears throat> and, and. Okay. okay, let me check something on my end. Okay.
Okay, all right. Testing, testing. Can you hear me? Please welcome the one and only. Okay. Come on out. Okay, that's working. Uh oh. All right. Uh, I still don't see. I'm in the show. <laughs> and I've seen the green bar. Don't know what just happened. Dun dun dun. Testing, testing. It's very weird. Hello, 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 hello. This is crazy. Okay. Hello. I wonder if everyone else can hear me. And I'm just babbling at this point. All right, testing, testing, testing. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you now. Okay. Right. I don't know what no happened. Worries. Yeah, I don't know what happened. Um, no worries. If you can, I could edit this video, obviously. So, um, okay. if we can pick up on the uh, last story that you started, okay. I think you, so. I think it was for like about a minute or so. So we'll just start back from that story and just edit the video. Okay. So, people have good stories and bad stories. But for your unconscious mind, it's all good stories. So for instance, if you just pay your bills one month, you get hit with adrenaline and dopamine because you just managed to pay your bills at the last minute and you pulled yourself out and you saved yourself. It feels good. So your body goes, oh, that felt good. Let's do it again. Mm -hmm. Now, consciously, you don't want to do that again. <laughs> but now your body is developing an addiction to just pulling things out at the last minute. So you start getting a month after month of just paying your bills and developing an addiction. This is your reality addiction. And But then it gets compounded because let's say that someone's complaining about how much taxes they have to pay. And you sit there and you go, well, I barely make it by each month. I don't have to pay that much taxes. That's cool. So you put in a building block of this is why I should not make a lot of money. Right. You watch a billionaire screw people over and you're like, I'm never going to be like that. So, and that, having no money, make sure I'm not a billionaire. So that's another reason. And you put in all these building blocks of why you shouldn't have money. And you've got the addiction to just getting by every month. Right. But then it gets worse because just like any drug addiction, you eventually start to develop a tolerance for it. So now your mind says, it's not, we're not getting the same fix. Let's put you further in debt <laughs> so you can come back out and you'll get a bigger hit. And you're wondering what the hell is going on in your life. Yeah. Why is there always struggle? But you're stuck in this addiction. So that's what I'm talking about, reality addiction. Yeah, I see. Wow. That was, okay. that was great, greatly explained. Wow. Okay. All right. So then we go back to my coach talking to me. Are you willing to step out of that story? And I'm pissed now, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? This is racism. Racism is not a story. Racism is a thing. And he looks at me and goes, Shiraz, yeah, racism is a thing. But you're not getting denied jobs because you're black. You're not getting stopped in traffic because you're black. You're only getting stopped at borders because you're black. 
that's a story. And so I, I thought about it and I said, okay, I, I see where you're going with this, but every story has a benefit. Mm -hmm. And I don't see the benefit in this. I'm getting delayed. I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting humiliated. Where's the benefit? And he looks at me, he goes, Shraz, when you tell your border crossing stories, you light up, you feed off other people's reactions to your adversity. And you can't keep telling the same story over and over again. So you got to keep getting stopped at border. So you have to <laughs> fresh material. <laughs> and he was right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. So there's an anticipation and there's a, a need to keep on traveling just so you can experience it. They probably got used to you. <laughs> oh my God. And, and this is the thing, because that first time it happened, my friends were so consoling. They showed so much love for me. My brain mm -hmm. said, I want more of this. So I had to keep getting stopped at borders. I built addiction. And here's the thing. I decided then, okay, you know what? I don't need to get love and affection from my friends for my adversity. I'm going to create success. I'm going to create big success. I'm going to celebrate with them. That's the kind of love I want. Mm -hmm. And I stopped getting stopped at the borders. It just went away. And here's the cool, here's the cool thing, Michael. Do you know that there are non-white customs agents? I, I do know that. So what happened? I didn't know that because I was unconsciously lining myself up with the white ones for maximum racism efficiency. <laughs> <laughs> and suddenly I'm like, hey, he's Indian. She's Chinese. Where the hell did these people come from? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. So, <laughs> all right. So from reading your story and understanding more about the things that you've been through, man, it could, I know that it could be daunting. Can you share with us, man, the journeys that has brought you through navigating life and navigating business? Because for one, I think that if I was to have some of those experiences in my life, mm -hmm. you know, I probably would be a little bit hesitant when I travel. I probably would be a little, little bit hesitant when I deal with certain types of people. I might be a little bit hesitant when I deal with certain types of businesses and things like that, because yeah. I know having that experience carries a certain type of stigma. And I say that as I know, like for me, when I served in Iraq, when I was in the military, I, for, for a while, I carried a certain type of stigma around certain types of people because mm -hmm. of my level of fear and anxiety that carried that. Can you share with us, man, how you navigated life and dealt with some of those things, whether it's in schooling, whether it's in business, whether in athletics and things like that, as he was um, progressing. So once I learned about these stories, it became a reframe of what's going on with me. Mm -hmm. If you have a continuous adversity showing up in your life, it's because it's, there's some benefit to it. You're either getting an immediate fix, like everyone's like, oh, Shraz, poor you, and you get that fix. Or in your mind, it's preventing something bad from happening. So I've had people like, I want to make more money. And we dig down, they, they have this unconscious belief that, well, if I make lots of money, people are going to come up and can I have some? Can you invest in my project? You have, to, you have to take care of the family now. And so your subconscious says, nope, nope, let's not make the money because I don't want to deal with all that. Mm -hmm. yeah. So any consistent adversity is not a problem. It's a solution for an emotional problem you're not looking at. Yeah. Okay. And when you say, when you stop saying, why is this happening to me? Why can't I get out of this? And ask, why do I want this to happen? Then the actual emotional problem can start to bubble up to the surface and come into your conscious mind. 
And when you resolve that, the adversity often just goes away. It's crazy how it works. So that's that's a big thing. And, and mastering that can take time. But once you do, you just start to see all these changes in your life. Number two is you have to learn to focus on what you want, um, basically to the extent of all else, right? Mm-hmm. So um, are, are you Christian? Yes, I'm Christian. Have you ever heard, uh, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can move mountains? Yes, I have. Okay. Do you, what's your interpretation of that? I think that's how strong is your belief and how strong is your faith? And what are you willing to do to do what you're willing to do, what you're trying to get or achieve in life? And I think the thing with that is we all could accomplish anything we want in life, but there's something there that's stopping us. But if you do believe that, then you can't achieve that. Yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good interpretation. I like that. Cause a lot of times when I talk about that, people say, well, it's a mustard seed. It's a, it's a little thing. You just have to have a little bit of faith and you can get through. And I'm like, no, 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 that's not what it is at all. You see a mustard seed knows it's going to become a mustard plant, which is actually a very strong plant. Right. It has no doubt. It's right? going to do it. It's going to do it. That's just what's going to happen. But as people, we're like, oh, I'm going to become a mustard plant. And then we hit some adversity. So, you know what? Orange tree. I can make it as an orange tree. Oh, that's not working out. Okay, grapevine. Let's go for grapevine. <laughs> <laughs> There's no absolute faith that you're going to, things are going to work out. To do that, you have to actually build mental muscles. Yeah. And so what I found works really well is if you can picture the outcome from a first-person perspective and get into the feelings of being in that outcome. Like, let's say you want to be up on stage, seeing yourself on stage, feeling confident, feeling great, hearing the crowd from the first-person point of view, and you hold that thought and those emotions for 30 seconds or more, that starts to rewire your neural pathways because your brain thinks it's actually happening. And the more you do it, the more your brain says, well, this is just what I do, until that's just who you are. But most people can hold a thought for seven seconds or less. Hmm. So you see where the problem comes in. Yes. <laughs> lack of focus. Lack of yep. focus is one of the uh, the biggest thing. But as you were saying that, you know, I just thought of even expounding on that because the mustard seed itself is going to deal with the seasons of weather. It's going to deal with all of these different things that's going to impact it, affect it. But it still doesn't matter. It still grows. It still keeps going. Yes. All right. Yeah. And so, so when you get right, that right. faith and when you get that faith and combine it with the focus and practice being in that space every day, then eventually you you just know you're going to get what you want. You don't care what the adversity is. You're going through it and you're getting out to the other side. Absolutely, man. So I want to like talk a little bit about some of the things that you're doing now within your profession, within your business and how you're helping people. Can you expound on that a little bit? Because I know you wrote a book that you talk about some of these things that you're doing, man. Yeah. So the book is How to Rewrite Reality. And basically, it's instruction manual on how to do that. Oh, there it is. And it's about most people are a character in their life. And some people aren't even the main character. They're like a secondary or tertiary character. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, come on, at very least, be the main character. But if you can go past that, you become the author. And you just decide what's going to happen in your life. 
And for me, my, my ideal clients are the ones that are, are experiencing what we call yo-yo results. You, mm-hmm. you start, things are start to go well and then you just lose it. And then it starts to go well and you lose it. And because what I've realized is you're coming out of an addiction, you go into withdrawal and you get pulled back in. You think it's circumstances, a client canceled or I missed an appointment or the car broke down, whatever, but you're creating everything in your life. And so for me, my, my highest level program, I work with women coaches and we get them from yo-yo income to seven figures in two years or less. Mm-hmm. Wow. At the, yeah. At the lower end programs, it's, it's general, just people are frustrated and they need a shift in life. And we, we work on it on uh, twice a month uh, because it's like, it's like going to the gym. You've got to do this on a regular basis to build those muscles or they atrophy and you end up back where you were. So if you can, can you tell us a little bit about your path and your journey to get to this level of success where you're at? Because I know you face some adversities in your life and things like that. But mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about the maturation process that it took you to say, I want to start helping people. I want to start developing this company and developing all of these strategies that I've learned that because I've seen the results for myself and I just want to go out here and just be a, uh, a change agent for other people. My story is is different from most stories because this wasn't actually born of, I want to help all these people. It was me learning these techniques, learning how to shift my own reality and practicing the techniques of my family and friends and starting to see, see them having the, the changes. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Until one of my friends says, you know, Shiraz, people will pay you for this. And I'm like, no, no, this is just the thing I'm doing. It's a hobby. So he goes, no, no, people will pay you for this. So I said, okay, you know what? Let's let's put that to the test. I'm going to start charging $100 an hour. And I chose what I thought was an outrageous uh, number. And let's see if anyone pays for this. And then people started paying me. <laughs> I'm like, holy <laughs> crap. <laughs> this is a business. <laughs> but as I continued with the business and I watched the transformations, I just started falling in love with my clients. I started falling in love with what people can can go through and become and hearing how they change. It's not that they start making more money or having better relationships, although they do. The most common thing is I really got to be who I am and mm-hmm. not who I thought the world expected me to be. Mm-hmm. And that's setting people free like that. It just lights me up. I, I love that because... I, I actually that because being someone that was going through what you was going through, going through the different borders and stuff like that, you could actually start developing a limiting belief or concept about yourself w- that will keep you bottled in and not yes. allow you to grow or expand. But th- that's what I meant by developing that resilient type of mindset to I'm going to create this business. I'm going to start helping people. I'm going to I want to see transformation in other people's lives. So that's what I wanted to hear from you because I applaud you for that because there's so many people that's within this world, man, that have so many gifts, so many talents, and they all let some things from their childhood. They'll let some things from their family, their friends, people that surround them, and it'll let them hold them back, man. So that's that's what I love to hear about your story, man. Yeah. And the thing is, I I was i was held back not not so much as most people because i i quickly got to six figures in my business um i was used to making six figures when i was in corporate and when i did this business it got there but then it leveled off and then i realized even in corporate 
just over 100,000 is the most I ever made. I couldn't go higher than that. In this business, just over 100,000 was the most I ever. And, I, and so then I said, okay, there's some adversity here that I'm not seeing. And just what you're talking about being affected by other people. I looked at what was going on there. And it turns out when I was a teenager, I had several family members and friends say, Shraz, you're talented, you're smart. You're going to be making so much money. You're going to have that house on the beach. You're going to be traveling the world. And, and then we get to come hang out with you. We get to fly with you. And my brain went, oh, my God, they're all going to leech off me. Uh, <laughs> <right>? uh, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 <laughs> so I made this unconscious decision that $100,000 is enough that I'm comfortable. I live a good life. But it's not enough that everyone could just start staying at my house and flying with me and everything. And so it locked it in there. Wow. All right. And when I found that out and we let go of that belief, my income doubled over the next year. That's amazing, man. It's, it's, it's crazy how we could start becoming the buyers of what we sell ourselves, man. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I want to ask, ask you this, though, because I remember when you uh, um, reached out to be on the podcast, you said that you went through a two-year span of no income. Yes. And I know some of our listeners could be listening, right, and may have that same thought of what you what you just mentioned before about, like, your friend's leeching. Try, yeah. try to take from you once you got to a certain um, level in life or in your business. So at that magnitude of adversity, because I, I could just think if someone is not making any income for two years, there's yeah. still bills, there's still lights, there's still water, there's still yeah. food, there's still people that's going to always reach out to you. You know, all, all that becomes a stressor within itself. Can you talk a little bit about what that phase was like for you and what did you do to get out of that and get past that? Because I'm quite sure there's somebody listening right now yeah. that's worried about when is that next check coming in? Okay. So what happened there? And, and this actually goes into the story I just talked about. I figured out how to make a million dollars a year through an app. And I got in contact with Bob Proctor. I don't know if you, do you know Bob Proctor? I'm familiar with Bob Proctor. Yes. Okay. So I, he, he lives in Toronto. Well, he lived when he was alive. He lived in Toronto. I actually managed to just keep hammering away at his assistant and people I know and finally got into his house to have a talk with him together. And with backing, I'm, I know I'm going to hit seven. But that belief I just told you about was still in my brain. These people are going to leech off me. So uh, because this was so powerful that I, it, there was no doubt I could get there and my brain did not want to go there, it pushed me in the opposite direction. Instead of going up, I went down out of trying to be safe from that reality. And I kept trying to make this work for two years. And so it was zero dollars. And eventually I used up my savings, built up my debt, had to leave my place, was couch surfing from relative to relative to relative. Wow. Yeah, and it, it was crazy, but it was it was because that fear of what could happen so powerful, even though it was a false fear. Because the solution to that was, if people come up and say, "Can I, let's stay at your house, let's go travel," the answer is no, <laughs> like no. <laughs> but in my brain, I didn't think I could say that. I thought I'd feel guilt or shame if I said that, and now I'm like, no. <laughs> No guilt, no shame, just no. <laughs> oh my God. So, man, you've um, helped impact so many people's lives and you're changing lives, man. Can you share, if you can, 
um, a testimonial of someone that may have came to you that was like in not in the best situation, best circumstance, and they listened to some of your steps, some of your strategies, some of your your framework or your program or anything like that, and how that led to them changing their life or their business, man. So I had a client, um, Sean Stewart, who was a real estate agent. Well, I guess he still is a real estate broker. And he was trying to close deals about $300,000 on the house. Uh -huh. But he wasn't getting them. He was getting like maybe one a month, which is not enough commission to, to really have a great life. Uh -huh. And we worked on clearing out his limiting beliefs. And he had things like, you can't be too, like that's arrogant, that's egotistical. And uh, you have to stay within a certain range of other people around you or they'll leave you. Right. And so all these things were holding him back at an unconscious level. After about six months, he was closing deals at $900,000 plus, and he was doing them regularly. Like he even called me up and he said, here's the crazy thing that happened this week is that there was nothing, there was no deals. And I said, you know what? That's not me. My story is I always have deals. So there are going to be deals. And within an hour, the phone started ringing with deals. And he goes, that's just what happens. <laughs> oh wow okay man if you can man can you tell us or share with us as much as your secrets that you could uh divulge what are some strategies or some lessons that practical things that people could start implementing into their lives now that you've already learned this you've already seen that and it's it's limiting beliefs that hold people's back, man. So can you talk yep. about some steps and some things that could help people just get past that hurdle, man? Okay. So on one end, it's the avoidance of emotional distress. Your mind prioritizes emotional distress over any physical circumstances. And the three big ones are guilt, shame, and heartbreak. So when you are in a situation and you think, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to feel bad if I do, I'm going to feel kind of guilty then your mind's already going into protection mode so you don't have to feel guilty like so, so for instance if someone if, you're, if your friends want to do something and you don't actually want to do it most people cannot just say no i don't want to do that they have to say no i can't because right right and so you don't want to feel guilty for lying to them so your mind puts things in place so that you're not lying you don't have to feel guilty biggest things it's are i can't afford it i'm too busy and I'm too sick. And yeah. people manifest that ahead of time so they have them in their pockets. When you can say no to people without guilt, you create so much freedom and adversity starts to go away because you're in your power. But, but in general, just look and if I do that, I'm going to feel guilty or I'm going to feel shame or whatever. If you think that, you're deciding that that's how you're going to feel. Most people don't get that. It's, well, no, that's just how people feel. No. You're making a decision of exactly how you're going to feel. And you can change your mind and make a different decision. And that doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you decide to have a different emotion. So be in that space of, I don't have to feel guilty. I don't have to feel bad. It doesn't make, and, and again, because some people say, well, well, that makes me a bad person if I say no and I don't feel guilty because they really wanted me to go there. No, no. If they're, under, if they're your friends, they'll understand. <laughs> yeah. So that's the one side. And the other side is where are you getting your fixes, right? Are you getting your fix because you, you just managed to pay the bills every month? Are you getting your, like, one thing is there's the pride fix, right? You know, uh, 
you know, they get it all so easy because they got so much money. But look how much I get to accomplish. Look how I can handle it with just this little budget. Well, now you're addicted to that and you have to keep that budget so you can stay in that pride. What what are the families, especially? You got to sacrifice for your kids. No, you don't, right? You have to be willing to sacrifice for your kids. But if you're in a story, I've got to sacrifice for my kids, you've got to create conditions in which sacrifice is necessary so you can do the sacrifice and feel good about sacrificing for your kids. Hmm. <laughs> what if you created a reality where no sacrifice was necessary and everyone got everything they wanted? Then you wouldn't even hear that. That would not even be a conversation if you created that. Yeah. It would not even be a conversation. And that leads to the next thing is the conversations. How many times have you heard people in conversations and they're basically trying to one up each other with the adversity they have to go through? So now your brain's like, how can I make things worse so I can get the one up in the next conversation? You hear that all the time. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) It's funny you say that, but that's on your reality TV shows, that's on your news, that's on your sitcoms. And me and my wife was just traveling, was in um, the airport and continuously just sidebar conversations. You could just hear this person trying to outdo the other person with how much horrible stuff that I've been through. (laughs) Yep. So when oh you shift, God. when you shift the conversation with your friends and you shift the people you hang out with, the conversations become about successes. And now you one up on the success and think about what that's going to do in your life. I think that's that's the type of conversation that needs to be um, heard and expressed because it's funny you say that, but winners want to be around other winners. Yes. They want to hear these. <laughs> they want to hear these types of stories. Yeah. But it, it's crazy how it seems to be few and in between a little bit because it's what people associate themselves or who they're around in regards to getting that that form of um, that form of uh, gratification. Yeah, and the cool thing is when you get into that higher space on the bottom, it's really more competition. But from the success part, you celebrate the other person's success. They inspire you and you're like oh then i should be able to because they're doing it and then they're like oh i should be better and it becomes this collaborative uh movement towards more success right i i find that you know there's a stigma when it comes to various types of community of who tries to help each other and Mm -hmm. who do not help each other and and sadly, it's segmented that way. And it's not until people either come through that form of um, self-discovery or self-awareness and try to have that identity shift, they can actually start seeing things from a different perspective and different light. I wanted to ask you, man, you know, when it comes to this journey of yours, can you talk a little bit about how important it was for you? Or if you did, um, because I thought it was pretty cool for you to share that you um, seeked out Proctor, and yeah. that's somebody that's a that um, I have some of his books as well that I've read. So can you talk a little bit about when you were on your path, you were on your journey? Was there any books? Were there any like mentors? Were there any coaches that helped you? Because I think that's key to helping people to be successful, even with what you're doing to help other people now. Because I think some people sometimes think they could do it on their own and 
sometimes you need a little bit of help, a little, little bit of motivation, or even that person like yourself that's winning to keep you motivating and keep pushing you to go to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. And you could absolutely do it on your own if you want it to take a long time and be really hard. <laughs> so <laughs> that used to be my path. No more. I have five coaches now. And, and I'm like, I need some advice. You tell me what to do. Oh my God, that's brilliant. I will do that. So, uh, yeah, definitely. I worked with Bob Proctor. I worked with Joe Vitale, uh, John Asaraf, and, uh, and of course, my mentor uh, that I, I met in India. I, I didn't actually talk this story, but I used to have severe rheumatoid arthritis. And I met this guy in India who told me, well, you have arthritis because you believe you're responsible for everyone in your life. And I'm like, what? No, I don't. And he goes, I know you don't think you do, but you've created this belief that you need to be responsible for everyone in your life. And I'm like, but what's that got to do with arthritis? He goes, oh, when you're lying in bed in pain, you don't have to be responsible for anyone. You don't have to feel guilty about it. Your arthritis isn't the problem. It's the solution. I was like, damn. <laughs> Hold on. Say that one more time again. So say that one more time because that was yeah. eye-opening. Say that one more time because... I know that as you said that, I'm thinking this is equal to this. This is a tribute to that. But for yeah. someone to spin it that way, can you, can you share that one more time for me, man? Okay. So I had the arthritis because I had a belief that I was supposed to be responsible for everyone else in my life. Yeah. Anytime I wasn't being responsible for everyone, which is pretty much all the time because it's impossible to really be responsible for everyone, I mm -hmm. felt guilty. Wow. So in order to get out of the guilt, my body created arthritis because if I'm lying in bed in pain, obviously I can't be responsible for anyone. Mm -hmm. Problem solved. So arthritis wasn't the problem. It was the solution. Mm. And when I let go of the need to, to, to take care of everyone, the arthritis went away. <laughs> it just went away. <laughs> Wow, I I'm I'm just hearing that, and I and I ask you the question twice because for someone that's listening, I'm saying, how many people is walking around with so much stuff on their brains, on their mind, and it's just weighing them down? Yeah, and they think it's their responsibility. Yes. Here's the thing: the only thing you need to be responsible for are your thoughts, your actions, and the results because of them. Yeah. You're not responsible for anyone else on the planet, not even your kids. And that's going to, like some parents are like, what? No, I have to be responsible for my kids. No, there's a lot of parents that are not responsible for your kids. <laughs> like they're, they're just, <laughs> it's a choice. And when you, when you love on your kids and you take care of your kids out of choice and not responsibility, that is a light, empowering feeling rather than a heavy burden feeling. So stop being responsible for anyone else. You you still in the choice to help people to, to take care of people but now it's all choice it's all light it feels amazing it's interesting that you say that because i think about like when i when i joined the service and i um went into the marine corps when i was um 17 years old and i was on my own and i felt guilty as an adult reaching back out to mom and dad for money for all of these different things that I, I should be doing on my own. Mm -hmm. And thinking about it, as you're saying that, I could have 
took on the responsibility of done more things to really truly take care of myself because as you're saying that I made it a burden on my family. I made yeah. it a burden on my parents when they had to take money out of their house, out of their yeah. happiness, out of their joy, because that's what I was doing. So it's interesting that you say that because I think so, us as parents think that we have that responsibility of taking care of a kid that we would consider an adult. And I say that because I see kids in different countries since I've traveled a good bit, right? I'm pretty sure you have as well, mm -hmm. where kids are at 13, 14, 15, doing things on their own out here yep. and they're super, super successful and they're not relying on parents. But we've developed that conditioned mindset where we're still supposed to take care of kids or kids are conditioned to think that I could still go back to mom and dad. So it's interesting yep. you brought that up. Yeah. And, just, and I want you to also think about it is you didn't, you, you could frame it as I made a burden for them, but it's on, it's on them, whether it's a burden or not. It's like, oh my God, mm -hmm. this kid is a burden or no, we get to help our kid because we love them. It's not a burden mm -hmm. at all. We're happy to do this. Mm -hmm. You have to, you don't know what their story was. Well, I do think it's fascinating, man. And, you know, for our listeners that's listening to this, I think it's a conversation that they could probably even have within their own household of how mm -hmm. they apply some of these thoughts or how they apply principles within their household of how we move forward. How do we take care of our responsibilities? How we do? How we? How do we take care of having this type of uh, shift of are we going to let these beliefs that we've created hold us back? Before we get out of here, man, can you share with our audience um, some key takeaways from your story? Because it's so impactful and it's so profound based off of going someone that's been through some form of racism coming from where you're from and dealing with that form of identity to someone that's now successful in helping people, man. So can you give us with some, some takeaways that they could have and make an impact into their lives, man? Oh, number one, stop giving a crap what anyone thinks about you. <laughs> this, this stops so many people and creates so much adversity, right? My rule is as long as you're not intentionally trying to hurt other people, go do whatever the hell you want and don't feel guilty about it. Don't care what anyone thinks, do you. That That's going to create freedom. Uh, and get into that place of a mustard seed. For me, it's, it's a simple philosophy. Everything is going to work out. That is just the driving force in my life. Whenever adversity comes up, I mean, we're just going through some stuff now, but everything's going to work out great. And I always come out of it and it all be great. And we have that greatness for a while until the next little piece of adversity comes through. But even in that, I don't get worried. I don't panic. I'm like, nope, it's part of the journey. Everything's going to work out great. And when you're in that mustard seed space, it always does. Absolutely, man. So if anybody wanted to work with you, um, get you for um, a session or get you on their podcast or get you for a speaking gig, how can they get a hold of you? You can just go to energeticmagic.com. Energeticmagic.com. So before we get out of here, man, are there any last words that you'd like to leave our audience? Yeah. Uh, don't be afraid to be the happiest person in the room. You being the happiest allows everyone else to come up to your level and the whole room gets elevated in happiness. Absolutely. Guys, if you guys enjoyed this episode, I truly did. Make sure you leave a comment, share with the family, share with a friend, give us a thumbs up. Until next time, God bless.
Thank you so much. Can't complain at all. Couple dollars in my pocket, no income and go. Been working on my body, getting healthier. Thank God for clarity.